0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from April 3rd by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew 3, verse 1 through 4. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 today, and I'm not sure if the scriptures I sent in were shared or not, but if, if, if they weren't, and, I mean, obviously God knows what he's doing, and I do appreciate the children's devotion over there about uh, preparing the way, because that's exactly what I'm preaching on today. And uh, these songs that we've sang about Christ and, and, and his coming, all that he did. And so it's so important that we understand a lot of these things. And for the month of, of April that I'll be here preaching for, with you guys, uh, I'm going to be preaching through the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 3. So if you want to study ahead, read ahead, do that. And and you can begin to prepare your hearts for what God has to say and has to teach, uh, as as he does with me as well. And so this message today is, in fact, this whole month, is entitled The Demand of Real Salvation. The Demand of Real Salvation. And for that to take place, the judgment of God on our lives must come before we can receive his justification that Jesus has given. And so it's judgment before justification. And we have to understand that. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this chapter, and especially these first four verses today. And so let's stand and let's read God's word here together. I always like to stand when we read God's word, just in reverence to it. They did it in the Old Testament, and I think it's still relevant today. Beginning in verse 1 through verse 4, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel hair and of leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Lord God, as we come before you, Father, as we look into your word, Father, may your Holy Spirit just illuminate your truths that apply to our hearts so that we can have hearts that are prepared for all that you have for us. And Lord, that we can go out and do those things that you've called us to do, and that is to be witnesses for you. Lord, we just pray and ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as we look at this this first verse, and as you're going to find, I I love to to do expository preaching. I just like to pick a chapter, pick a a book, and I just preach through it, verse by verse. However far it gets, I just take my time and just go through it. And so... uh, when we, look, when we look at this first verse, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, first thing we got to understand is the timing of what's going on here. Because the timing is so important. If, if, you, if you miss this one little phrase, in those days, and don't go back and look what that is talking about, then it tends to misinterpret other verses and other passages of Scripture. So you have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And I believe it's very clear that John, when it talks about John beginning his ministry, it began in 29 AD. And I'm pretty emphatic about that. 29 AD is when John began his ministry because that's what the Bible says. And so as you look, and you look at this this passage in those days, go to Luke 3, verses one through two, and in those two verses, you see a whole list of different rulers that were ruling during that time. And they all have very specific dates that we know of in history of when they occurred through our archaeological finds. And so that first one, it says, in the 15th year in Luke 3, 1 through 2, it says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Well, we know that Tiberius Caesar, according to history, ruled from AD AD 14 to AD 37. Well, the 15th year would make it A.D. 29. And so, that is so very important for us to understand. Now, we know John the Baptist was then how old? That's a good question, right? All right, think about that. He was six months older than Jesus, right? And how how many, this is is going to challenge us, but how many think that when, when Jesus began his ministry, he was 30 years old? We've heard that, right? Well... He wasn't, in my opinion. Because if, he, if John began his ministry in AD 29, and from all historical records, we believe Jesus was born eight, in BC 4 to 6, then that would make John the Baptist about 35 years old beginning his ministry. And as we go through Matthew chapter 3, we're going to do some things that are very important, especially when we get to the baptism of Jesus. It's important to understand that. Because so, so often we look at all the different things about Jesus' uh, starting his ministry, you know, third, at the age of three, that's, that's, that's when uh, many times people would begin their ministries and in, 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 uh, according to Judaism at 30 years of age of begin all these things. And so, so this is an important fact that we need to establish right here. If John was about 35, that, that'd make Jesus maybe 36, maybe 37 when he started his ministry. But we're going to go on from there. Um, it, said, it said, John the Baptist, and I like to refer to him as the baptizer. I guess that's what he did. That's what he was referred to, being John the Baptist. He was the baptizer. And it said, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And a little, just a little bit about John. John was the son of Zechariah, the forerunner of Christ. And he was, we know, beheaded by the order of, of, of Herod Antipas. Uh, which ended his ministry. So this is, this is the John that we're, that we're dealing with here, John the Baptist. Now, there are some proclamations that were made about John. And we, we see those proclamations in Luke chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. So we, so we can learn more about who this John is. And so in, in, in that passage, Scripture says, Verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. So what's one of the things that John's going to be doing? What's his ministry? What's his purpose? Is to turn the children of Israel back to God. That's his purpose, to turn them back to God. And so how is John supposed to do that? Well, verse 17, as we continue to read, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, you've heard it said, and you have to excuse, I I got sinus issue problems, so every once in a while that, that does flare up. It's not COVID or nothing like that, so... Uh, so I do a little bit of sniffing, so just bear with me. But um, his job was to prepare the hearts, prepare the way of the Lord, like they had prepared the children did right there. And I, I just love that example. That was great. You know, to, someone's going to come in. Well, you, got, you got to prepare things for them to come in. And we have to prepare our hearts. Nobody gets saved like that, folks. Not one person ever gets saved like that. Want to know Why? Because even before anyone has come and talked to that person about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord God is preparing their heart. The Holy Spirit has been preparing their heart all year long for all their life, okay? Preparations have to be made. And we have to understand those preparations. And so when we look at Luke 3, 3 through 36, because it talks about John here as he's coming preaching in the wilderness, well, what's he preaching? Well, And Luke, he says, and he came into all the country around Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, folks, that's important. The baptism for the remission of sins. You know what that falls under? I talked about the real demand of salvation, judgment before justification. When when you're dealing with the baptism of repentance for remission of sin, that's judgment. That's God's judgment. That's us as people understanding we are sinners and in need of a Savior. But we're sinners first. We cannot overlook our sin issue. Cannot overlook it. And so it's very important that we understand that. And so... When we look at verse 2, it says here, and John is saying, and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, real repentance, real repentance, genuine repentance that leads to salvation is a twofold message. One, it reveals um, our own sorrow for unbelief and sin. If we do not recognize we are sinners and that we deserve God's judgment, then folks, let me tell you, we cannot be saved. No matter how much we believe about Jesus' love and all that he did for us. Why did Jesus come? Because we're sinners and we could not pay the price ourselves. And so it's important that we understand this, this sorrow for unbelief and sin. Uh, this passage of scripture that I was looking at this morning, it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 10, but it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. I just, you just didn't get caught and you're guilty of, of doing some wrong things, okay? That's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with godly sorrow. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, when you see the, the world out there and they, people get, they know they did something wrong. Well, I got caught, I did something wrong. I, I, I'm sorry. And they apologize, do all these things. Folks, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow means I'm going this direction, and all of a sudden I come face to face with my own sin. I recognize I'm a sinner, and I realize what it costs to get rid of my sin, that I cannot do it unless I go to hell myself, and there's no coming back from hell, folks. And so I have to, when I recognize my own sin, I turn and I see Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. And I go toward him, forsaking my sin. Now, does that mean I'm not going to sin anymore? No, we're all going to keep sinning because we're in this sinful body. But I turn away from that sin and I go toward Jesus and I accept what He has done. And what He has done covers my sin. And when the Father looks, all He sees is the blood of Jesus forever. You see, that's the difference. You see, there has to be that sorrow for unbelief and sin. And the second part is the turning from them, from that sin, to God. And now when you leave sin out of the picture, when it comes to salvation, then it's all a matter of works. My own how good I am. Pride and all those other kind of things that haven't been dealt with. And so what we see here in John preaching the repentance uh, of sin it makes John, he says, repentance is the first requirement in salvation. That's what John is saying. It, repentance is that first requirement. You can't be saved without it. It's the first thing. Now, this is confirmed by Jesus in Matthew 4:17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was preached by Peter at Pentecost in Acts 2.38, where it says, Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Um, also in Peter's second sermon, 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing come. Paul preached the same thing in Acts twenty six twenty. He says, But show first unto them of Damascus and uh, Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then, to the, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. Notice, repent, then turn to God. And do the works meet for repentance. Now that works meet for repentance, that's just verifying that you're truly saved Because you're you're going to begin to bear fruit as a child of God. Okay? Works has nothing to do with with our salvation. And so true repentance must be the number one teaching in the church today. And you know what? Sadly, it's not. They want to teach and, and preach about the love of Jesus. And folks, that's great. but not at the expense of not teaching about our sin, that we're sinners. And that's why we have so many problems today, because nobody wants to confront the sin. See, it seems to be, preaching about sin seems to be the last thing that is preached, because it's offensive to people. Well, I'm sorry, Jesus himself said that the message that he brings is going to be an offense. We just can't let it offend us. And that's what we're letting it do. We begin to show that we're ashamed because we don't want to tell people about that they're sinners. And that they need Jesus, who's the only one that can cover their sin, take care of it. People want people today. All they, they want to hear about a loving God who, is, who has who has who who died for them. Then you ask, well, why did He die for? Well, I don't know. He just died for us. You know, there's a reason that He came. And so it's so important. We have to understand that simply to accept, believe, and receive Jesus in your heart, folks. I'm sorry, that's not real salvation. Unless repentance has taken place first, recognizing we're sinners. Now, as we go continue through verse two, it says, "For the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Now that phrase speaks of those who have heard the true gospel, message that, that was being proclaimed, and then, but it leads to genuine salvation. Genuine salvation. Now think about think about the parable of the sower and the seed. Okay, sower went out to sow, and some fell upon the good soil. Some fell upon some some uh, uh, some uh, the the path, which kind of stony soil, and some fell upon some other soil that weeds sprouted up, and 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 things that thorns sprouted out. Right. Well, think about this. If we are to prepare our hearts properly. Allowing the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts to receive the gospel. And see, the seed there that's being sown is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that gospel that's being sown. Okay? To receive that message, there's only one soil that received it. And that was the the fertile soil, the soil that was broken up. All those hard clots of sin in our lives have been broken up and we've turned away from them we recognize that we're sinners. Because see, the the, the seed that went on the stony path, what happened to it? It sprouted up real fast, but when the sun came out, it burned, it had no roots, it went away, it withered away. What about the one that fell amongst the thorns? It it started to sprout up, and all of a sudden, the the cares of the world strangled it, and it fell apart, and it went away. See, there's no genuine salvation there. But what fell upon the, the good soul had deep roots that went in. And so if a thorn would come up or the sun would come, it was nourished by the deep roots. And that's what we have to understand. See, the kingdom of heaven, that's, that's, that's what we're seeing here. It speaks to those who have heard that true gospel that leads to genuine salvation. And if you leave out sin, that we're sinners, folks, we are hurting the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so again, this kingdom of heaven, it speaks about that royal dominion of God. But it comes in two phases. One that we all hear about is when Christ comes and rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, folks, I look forward to that time. More than that, I look forward to that seven years prior when we were up at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, and uh, after after the rapture of the church takes place. That's what the kingdom of heaven is speaking about. That future event. But you know what? It also speaks about here and now. Because it says, it is what? At hand. It's at hand. Here, now, right here. Where? If you're a child of God, right here. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. But if you haven't recognized you're a sinner the Spirit of God cannot dwell in you. Oh, we like to talk about, oh, that thousand-year reign of Christ is coming, but we haven't dealt with it here. We haven't prepared our way to receive the gospel. And so that's what's so important. It's at hand. It's at hand. And that third verse, it says, for for this is he... That was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You see, preparing the way, it means it's a heart preparation. A heart preparation that recognizes that there's nothing good that we have ever done. We are sinners and we deserve the lake of fire. But God in his love, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us to be, to pay the price for our, for my sin that I had no control over. He did that for me. And his Holy Spirit convicts us and teaches us through life experience from the day we're born until the day we die. He's he's doing that, showing us, preparing our hearts, saying there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to hear the gospel message and you need to respond to it because we're never guaranteed a second opportunity. But thankfully, many of us have received second opportunities. But we're never guaranteed it. We're to be prepared. Make his path straight. That that phrase, it comes out of Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5 through 5 because it, it talks about the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make it straight, in the desert, a highway for our God. Now, you look up those highway for our God, folks. It's like about no evil can travel on that highway, because that's the way the Lord has done in our hearts. And so, it's important we understand that what's being prepared and made straight is the path to real salvation. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ and what He did by repentance of sin, recognizing that we're sinners. And then that fourth verse is just the symbolism. The symbolism of everything that was said in verses one through three. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins and his meat and his feet was locusts and wild honey. So there's two attributes we've seen here. One is clothing, one is food. The clothing reveals that John, who came, was a prophet of God. Camel, wild hair, um, all that that was there. That's the clothing of of the prophets. Elijah specifically, that's what Elijah wore. references some of the false prophets trying to imitate being that. They'd wear the same thing and try to prophesy. But um, that was a symbol of of the prophets. So John was a prophet of God, the last prophet sent with the true message but then the food there represents the curse and the blessing it represents the plan of salvation the food represents the plan of salvation here the locust when you look at locust locust and wild honey all right locust if you look at it it's always a curse but yet they're allowed to eat it but it's always a curse no matter what happens, we see locusts, it's always used as a curse. Wild honey, you ever heard the phrase land flowing with milk of honey? That was a reference to Israel. That's where it came from, from the Old Testament. And so what you see here in these illustrations of the, of the clothing and the food, that's a veiled representation of the twofold message of the gospel, especially with the food the locust being the curse, the wild honey being the blessing, okay? You see, when you look at Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 29, Moses was commanded and said, Behold, I set before this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you obey not the commandments of the Lord your God. And turn aside the other way uh, to the others. Let's skip on down to to verse twenty nine. And it shall come to pass that when the Lord thy God hath brought thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Now, if you go to Jacob's Well, okay, in Shechem, and you look to one side and the other, you have those two mountains. You have Ebal and Gerizim. And they were told 40 years after after the wandering, when they entered the land, that's what you had to do. And so, what happened? This prophecy here was made and instructed that nation to, to go and do this do these things. Now, something else that, that was required to do is once they crossed over Jericho, they had to get circumcised. They made them get circumcised right there in front of their enemy. Talk about faith, talk about trusting God. Okay? And so they had to go to this, to this, to this, uh, where Jacob's well was in Shechem. And in Joshua chapter eight, we see that Joshua builds an altar for sacrifices and writes the law of the Lord on Mount Ebal. Well, that's the mountain of cursing. Why is the law of God written written on Mount Ebal? Because the law of God is the curse. What does God's word do? It reveals our sin. That we're sinners. It shows a standard that we cannot keep. We cannot maintain. It's the curse. It's on the mountain of cursing. And so the sacrifice of the law was on the judgment of God. By the judgment of God. That's on Mount Ebal. The judgment. That's what it it does. That's what it shows. It shows. It reveals our sin. But now the blessing is what? The wild honey is the blessing. That's the love of God. That's on Mount Gerizim. And I haven't looked this up, but I'm curious, you know, to see where this falls, just to see if it's in that line of mountains, if that's where Jesus was crucified. I just, I don't know yet. To me, God likes to have those kind of illustrations, (laughs) but I can't tell you for sure. But uh, Mount Gerizim was the work that Jesus did. It shows the love of God. The love of God. That's God's justification. Where God makes man acceptable or righteous before him, for man is is justified. So what Jesus did. And so God's justice demands that the message of judgment, which is his wrath about sin, you and I were sinners. that's first must always precede the message of justification, God's love, when we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. And yes, it can be offensive and it will be offensive, but it must be presented that way. Otherwise, there is no genuine repentance. Otherwise, it's seed sown on stony places, seed sown among the thorns. Okay, and people get offended and other, all kinds of things and leave and church splits and why? Because so many times, too many times, we have people that are members of churches but yet have never truly been saved. What did Jesus say about the the parable? There's tears among the weeds. Go pull them out now. Wait till the harvest. I'll deal with it then. We're to do the same thing. We are to love them. Show them the truth. Hold them accountable to God's word that they're sinners. And hopefully they'll come to the Lord. Seeing the true gospel, as it's being preached, for it to be powerful and balanced, the message of judgment must come before that, ju- that of justification. Otherwise, Man's sin is not dealt with, and we are under the curse of God still. And folks, this is where the modern evangelism falls so short of the true gospel message. They always talk about the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and that's great. And that needs to be preached to churches who are believers and Christians because they need to reflect the love of Jesus to everyone that slaps them on the cheek and mistreats them, everything else. We need the love of Jesus. That's for us. But when it comes to salvation, have to recognize their sin. Otherwise, people won't understand the predicament that they're in before holy God. And there's going to be those that say, but Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Because they never heard the true gospel message. Never heard it. Folks, it's our job to make sure that they hear the true gospel message, no matter how much it offends. But we need to present it in love. Present it in love. We don't need to beat beat the Bible over people's heads. We need to build relationships. Earn the right to speak into people's lives. That's what we need to be doing. People have to be confronted with their sin. Just like in the church, we have to confront sin when it pops up. We need to deal with it in a loving manner. To restore the brother or sister in Christ. Not kick them out. Restore them if they're repentant. That's the pre- that's prerequisite. Repentance. We need to follow God's word. Without that understanding, there can be no salvation. And people are going to die in their sin and be cast ultimately the Lake of Fire. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.